I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The name of the spirit that possessed her was Pazuzu, an Assyrian demon traditionally known as the king of the evil spirits of the air. Father Merin had first encountered this demon in Ethiopia 40 years earlier, when it possessed a young African boy. Father Merin believed the human spirit was on the threshold of a great leap forward, either into goodness or evil. His teachings inspired many disciples, of which I was one, and his death dispirited us deeply. So it was that four years later, I climbed a hill in South America with a heavy heart. For it had fallen to me to carry on Father Merrin's struggle. Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined once again by uh, Jack Howard. As, uh, as always, we are still isolated separately. I'm in Hampshire and Jack is in... That there, London. <laughs> Has the Elvis statue always been behind you? Or is this the first time I've ever noticed it? It's always been there. Has it really? I don't know I why my eye has never dr- been drawn to that before. Maybe it's just a different angle or something. It's hard to miss, Jack. I mean, it's that, and then there's the dancing Elvis clock. Can you see that? I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wonderful that's collection. A, that's, and it's, behind me, I've got a poster for Sex, Lies and Videotape. Yeah, you have, yeah. and uh, but as we know, your bedroom isn't real. It's actually just a yeah, yeah. it's a virtual creation that you've put there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm alright, things, mate. It's um, it's been a bit of a wild time, hasn't it? To put it lightly, like I mean, I Very I, I think about wild. this year, and we all thought, oh, the wildfires in Australia, like though that's what's going to define the year, you know, like what a horrible climate crisis we're in. Oh no, it's. It's a coronavirus, this huge pandemic that's literally affecting everybody on the planet. That's what's going to define the year. Oh, no. Okay. The murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. That is now seems like what's going to define the year. And just at this moment, during this time, as of last night, (laughs) is when J.K. Rowling decides to tweet a bunch of transphobic things. And it's just like, what's what's next? I, 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 I just can't keep up with all of this it, I, the, the world seems to have snapped and i think that it's it's just overwhelming just to n- not know what to do or where to put my energy it's uh, yeah i'm sure i'm not the only person who's feeling that way um but yeah how he how are you feeling well um firstly i uh i, I, I we won't go i know nothing about the rolling thing the last time i, I mean i've come off to social media completely at the moment um so I'm, I'm I'm not ha- not having anything to do with that at all. Um, it's yeah, I think it's all th- what's happening in uh, um, in America. I find it really really uh, both alarming and 
I mean, I, you know, it's, it's no secret that I think that the Trump administration is venal and corrupt. Um, and I think that we've, we've seen uh, just the most venal and corrupt side of it in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I find that very, very worrying. And obviously, with everything that's going on here, um, uh, without getting into too many specifics, let's just say it's not a moment in which you think that our leadership are, are excelling themselves and uh, leading from the front. So that's all very very difficult but um i when you and i spoke just for the listeners to explain what we're going to do we're not going to just ramble about how things are going there's two things that we're going to do on today's show when we spoke yesterday uh, you said look i'd like to talk a little bit about films in relation to black lives matter and i think that's a really good idea so we'll do that at the beginning that's the first thing we're going to do and then the second thing we're going to do is that we had a really great response to the uh, exorcist podcast <laughs> after you sat down and watched the exorcist yes we have. and i decided therefore that in order to, to complete the set i would ask you to watch exorcist 2 the heretic uh, don't say anything yet no um because as as you know a matter of record i think you know exorcist is the greatest movie ever made Exist to the heretic is the worst film ever made. So look, let's start with the thing that you know that you and I talked about yesterday, which was, and obviously cinema is political. All cinema is political. You know, no matter what it is, even apolitical cinema is political in being apolitical. And um, so much of the discussion of the stuff that's happening at the moment has, uh, you know, has been uh, addressed by cinema over hundreds of years. So we, I said, let's both pick a film that we think has something to say about what's happening at the moment. I'm going to let you go first. What was your choice? Um, well, I just recently watched um, two films uh, for the first time that I'm um, ashamed that I hadn't seen earlier, actually. They've, they've been on my list for a little while. Um, one of them was Do the Right Thing, and the other one was 13th, um, the documentary by Ava DuVernay. And uh yeah like it very both of them very very interesting movies um both outstanding as well um like very very important and essential to 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 to, especially to white people actually i think as well like to 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 watch this and understand this because it's a history especially over the duvernay's 13th a history that we're not taught um it's not something I, i you know i was taught about the holocaust in school but never Talk to talk specifically about slavery, n- no further than the surface level of it that it was a thing and now it isn't. Um, okay, so just for the for just for those who haven't seen it, because obviously I, I saw it and reviewed it when it came out. Yeah. give us a little um, you know up to speed on what Thirteenth is. Thirteenth is a documentary that takes a look at the prison system specifically and the history of black people being unfairly put into the prison system as a sort of sort of looking at the, the the abolishment of slavery and rejigging it slightly so that it can be still carried out but through the prison system and how the prison system misuses its inmates and and how companies profit off 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 uh, the 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 inmates and and how it changes how it, how it sort of supports systemic racism by having black people sort of go through that prison system most of the time unfairly and then when they come out they're not allowed to vote anymore and therefore they're not allowed to uh, change the system that they're a part of it's it's a very complicated issue that i'm still at the beginning of understanding so so to be able to sort of summarize it is kind of uh, kind of complicated still for for me to try and put into uh, a simple 
um, summation. But yeah, just a very eye-opening documentary about the history of, of, of race and specifically to do with the, the, the 13th Amendment, which, is, which was to abolish slavery. But there's a, there is a, a clause, a phrasing within it that slavery is not allowed unless you are uh, a criminal and put within the prison system and how the political system have treated... Uh, they've almost shifted the narrative to be less about racism, less about black people, and then changed the word to criminal and basically had the same argument forever and used the same fear-mongering um, to keep the same system in place is that is that I mean what, is there anything you would like to add to that yeah no no I, I mean I think that's a good I mean I think what's what's fascinating about it is a very well-made documentary I mean obviously Ava DuVernay is a, a, a really good director and understands how to tell a story and what's great about this is that essentially the, st- the story is that th- that uh, the way in which the modern prison system is set up is v- is deliberately designed effectively to give us a form of modern slavery yes so the argument the argument of the documentary and it's a polemical documentary and it's argued very well is that this isn't accidental this isn't just casually statistical there is a hard and fast economic reason why it is that the uh the the prison population is so disproportionately uh, full of uh, African Americans, and w- how it is that effectively the, the the legacy of slavery has been continued into the prison population, and I, it's, it's a really it's a really eye opening documentary. One of the things that I found alarming about the distribution over here was obviously it's um. It was available on Netflix and a number of cinemas wanted to play it and they weren't able to because that was at the point at which Netflix weren't really allowing their movies to go into cinemas, you know, maybe one cinema um, just in order to make it eligible for awards. I know the Watershed in Bristol tried very hard to to show it because they played Ava DuVernay stuff before and they weren't, they weren't able to, which is a real shame because it was a film that I think had... Um, you know, real populist mainstream appeal. The argument that it's making, I mean, as you were just showing there, it's quite hard to summarise, but the film itself is very, very easy to understand Once, whilst you're watching it. I mean, it, it's basically one of those things that does exactly what a great polemical documentary should do, which is, it says, this is a complicated issue, let me take you by the hand and lead you through it. And as you do, there are many moments in it in which you you find yourself going... I'm astonished that I never I never saw it that way. I never thought of it that way. I never, you know, that now I feel like my eyes are being opened. And uh, I remember my a good friend of mine who runs uh, the watershed w- was very disappointed that they weren't able to play that film uh, as well. In fact, somebody wrote in and said to them, "Why aren't you playing the a- a- the Ava DuVernay film? It's disgraceful." And they had to write back and say, "We'd love to. We'd absolutely love to, but we but we weren't allowed to because it was a it was a Netflix documentary." Now things have changed. Netflix, I think, have got their head around the idea of uh, s- simultaneous. Uh, cinematic and streaming openings but that was one of the titles that if you didn't have netflix Mm. you couldn't get to see and i just think that anything that stops people from seeing 13th is a a real problem because it is a very very powerful and very pertinent documentary well it's lucky that you say that actually because right now because of everything that's going on um netflix have chosen to make 13th available for free on youtube worldwide brilliant so if you if Which you is, don't have netflix and you're listening to this and you haven't seen it i wholeheartedly recommend it it is a fantastic and i think essential piece of viewing um and yeah it's available now on youtube for free some people got the real 
states were required to keep these prisons filled, even if nobody was committing a crime. It's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration because it has become heavily monetized. The focus is on taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole and probation. How much progress is it really if now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor? We now have more African Americans under criminal supervision than all the slaves back in the 1850s. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose. Products of that set of choices that we have to understand in order to escape from it. So that's great. So you can legitimately go to YouTube and you can watch the whole thing yep. completely fine. It hasn't on, been on pirated Netflix's by somebody. YouTube channel, they've, they've put the whole thing on there um, for free for that's everybody great. to watch. And was there a statement released with that, Jack? Did they do it specifically in response to everything that's going on at the moment? I'm the, sure that they the, did. The Black Lives Matter I'm campaign? sure there have been. I haven't seen that. I just, I was, after I'd seen it on Netflix um, the other day, I tweeted about really enjoying it and, and recommending it. And then people replied to me saying, just so you know, it's available on YouTube just in case you haven't got Netflix and so that, that's how I found out was from other people telling me yeah. um, that it was. This is one of the this is one of the things as I said I've come completely off social media for the moment but one of the things that is really interesting about it is that that is a great way of finding things out that you say I really like this and somebody you've never met before says oh and incidentally did you know that mm-hmm. this is available here there and everywhere. Um, you also went back and you saw Spike Lee which just recently celebrated an anniversary um, there's a new Spike Lee coming to Netflix this Friday called The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you make of Do the Right Thing? I'm amazed that you hadn't seen it at some point because it's kind of, it feels to me like one of those cornerstone texts. What did you totally. think? Totally. But I, I think that this lockdown has, you know, I've been actually completely out of the loop with television. I've only watched one television series this entire time, whereas everybody else seems to be binging a lot of television. I've actually been using the time to watch a lot of movies that I hadn't seen before. Um, and it's been interesting because. And movies that I should have seen before. So here, here comes another one. So obviously the, the Exorcist you're aware of, but I hadn't seen The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2. And it's very interesting. I'll just very briefly talk about this because I think it's interesting, is that I've come at those movies from a very particular point of view, which is somebody who is very cine literate, but also somebody who's seen parodies of those movies and everything that's been inspired by those movies you know i've seen simpsons parodies but i've also seen movies that have taken the godfather as influence and then built upon it and done their own thing so i've i know all the cliches i know all the the i know everything uh, about it without having actually seen it so i saw it and went yeah that was pretty good and and like so so obviously with all the hype and all the i just i watched the godfather and godfather part two and was like yeah that was pretty good clearly outstanding in every category but for some reason it just doesn't it didn't hit my sensibilities like it was just something about it that kind of missed but i could clearly see it was brilliant and know why it's been held up as literally it's become a synonym with greatness like the godfather of i know why it's held up in that way but for some reason it just didn't do it for me however do the right thing is an, is another one like you say that i feel like i would have seen or should have seen but i knew nothing about it and it was one of the most vibrant, unique films I've ever seen. And I don't think anyone has ever been able to emulate anything like it. Um, and it has this like beautiful 
um, way of weaving the narrative that I really particularly love that, that, that filmmaking and directors and, and storytelling can do, which is that they lure you in with one sense of something. Everything feels really like vibrant and beautiful and almost ethereal and like idyllic this this little cornerstone of uh this little section of uh of new york which is again so vibrant is the word that i want to keep coming back to and and so lifelike and everyone's everyone knows each other and everyone's just so intertwined with each other's lives and then the way it goes i mean spoilers it did come out in 1989 um the way that it turns out is in, in great tragedy and in a way that actually reflects what's happened recently with the murder of George Floyd closer than I wish it would for something that was made 21 years ago um, so yeah the the, the, the the horrific dramatic way that it ends um, with with the murder of, of the, 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 the character who carries around the boombox the entire time I can't remember that character's name unfortunately um, but yeah, it's it's just this horrific twist in tone that uh, I didn't know about. Um, I had no idea, um, and I really thought it was a fantastic film, uh, and one that I think I'll come back to as well. It's it's just it's just left me with that impression of like I think I'll want to see that again. Um, but I assume you yeah. like it. I, I don't think I've heard your thoughts on it before. No, I mean I'm I'm a huge fan. It's recently celebrated. It was put put out in a 4K restoration because it was its 30th birthday. It was 1989, Jack? That's Sorry. now 31 years did ago. I, did I say no, 21? no, it's fine. I mean, it, oh my god. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's it's amazing that that. I mean, I, I when I reviewed it, I said, and you know, and here's something to make you all feel old. If you remember being excited when Do the Right Thing came out in cinemas. It's just had its 30th birthday. And there are, I mean, there, there's this weird thing at the moment, which is the milestones of the movies that I still think of as fairly recent. And suddenly <laughs> they're celebrating their 40th birthday, their 50th birthday. I'm starting to get to I that remember, point now where, because Inception is 10 years old, I'm like, oh, okay. That's starting to like, yeah. that's starting to get significant yeah, now in terms of how much time has passed. Yeah, 10 just feels like nothing at all. <laughs> 10 just feels like other. But the, 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 the thing that people forget about Do the Right Thing is how much... Um, fuss it caused when it came out because there was a really um really really striking debate about the politics of do the right thing about the politics of what happens and this is uh, because if people haven't seen it you know the whole thing it's a it's it's a broiling hot environment there are all these simmering tensions and they're all kind of leading to a you know a kind of explosion of some some description i don't think that's giving anything away but there was a really big debate about what happens and whether or not the film was which some people actually genuinely thought that that film would incite riots in the mm. same way that when uh, Blackboard Jungle first played in cinemas authorities said we can't possibly play this in cinemas because people will go and see it and they will smash the seats up and they will immediately you know it so <clears throat> it's really fascinating because it was one of those films that touched such a pressure point and did it with such skill and dexterity that it was immediately seen as somehow incendiary and somehow, oh, well, you know, we need to control this. And what's really fascinating was that 30 years later, when the film has become an accepted classic and Spike Lee is now considered to be, you know, a really major auteur, as opposed to what he was back then, which was a really important filmmaker who was a thorn in the side of the establishment, um, that people were still discussing the politics of the film because it's it's jagged and, 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 and raw and really vibrant. I mean, you kept saying that word and you're absolutely right. There is so much life in that film from the opening sequence, mm -hmm. from the, you know, from the opening sequence, which is just like, 
blasts onto the screen. The whole yeah. movie. To and me, it's funny. everything about that just felt like uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air had taken everything stylistic about that and just put it into yeah, yeah, yeah. its sitcom. Because, like, you know, I grew up watching <laughs> The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air having no context for where its inspirations came from. And I watched this and went, oh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. But it's but I think it's, you know, it's really good. I mean, great, you know, a great a great selection of performances. I was talking to, um, you know, John Turturro not so long ago about, you know, he's, he's worked with Spike Lee on several occasions. And, um, and he was saying, yeah, you mean, the, the reason that film stands up as it does is you look at the cast and it's, you know, it's an aston- it's an astonishing cast. I know. I think that film is absolutely great, and it's it's really it is one of those things. Like, you know, you when we talked about The Exorcist before, you said you know the minute you start watching it, you don't think of it as a time piece. You don't think of it as a period piece. You think of it as something that's really, really significant and relevant to now. Also, it's really good fun. It is. I mean, it is a really enjoyable film to watch, even though it's dealing with some very, very kind of, you know, difficult issues. It's really cinematic. It's like mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a film that's full of energy and full of creativity and just bursting with ideas. And, you know, Spike Lee always said that what he wants his films to do is to is to forward discussion, is to have people discuss them afterwards. And I think Do the Right Thing is a perfect example of a film you go and see and then if we weren't in the current lockdown, you'd go to the pub and you'd just go, yeah, but the, the thing and the what, the, what what about that bit when, you know, I, I thought that's fascinating. That's the hype! Newest latest. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey, it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this. Static. One hand is always fighting the other hand. And the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, it's a devastating right hand. Hey, this hurt. He's down. Ooh, ooh, left hand. Hey, KO'd by love. If I love you, I love you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to just draw us back, a long way back, to um, the film that I wanted to mention, which is um, Oscar Michaud's Within Our Gates. Which is now available on uh, on BFI Player, and uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, it's available on BFI Player with a, with an introduction by me. Um, and this is kind of really interesting because it's considered to be the oldest known surviving film by an African American director. It's a silent film. It's about the sort of um, you know the violent racism of the Ku Klux Klan and the Jim Crow era. And what's really important about it is that one of the things that Spike Lee has done several times in his films is to refer back to Birth of a Nation and to say, for heaven's sake, you know, how is it that Birth of a Nation is this milestone of cinema when it and is And actually, this coincidentally, Thirteenth com- does the same thing. Thirteenth mentioned. You know, no, exactly. So um, that thing, and in fact, Spike Lee's you know graduation film was famously. Um, which you know got him into trouble with the university was famously a film about how on earth is it that uh that birth of a nation can be revered in the way it is well so oscar michaud's film is very much a an early retort to birth of a nation and birth of a nation is this just you know has this disgraceful portrayal of african-americans as somehow kind of you know almost animalistic yeah and what um the and what the you know uh, within our gates does which which takes its title from um you know inspired by the film that that it's answering is it's basically showing northern audiences that it's that the the barbarism that's happening is on the part of the southern whites and it's again it's fascinating because when it was submitted to the censors which it was in the wake of the chicago race rights of 1919 and it became the subject of heated debate about well can we can we allow the film to be shown the censor board said that showing it would be quote preeminently dangerous and even after they passed it finally um there were several theaters that refused to screen it um we found a there's a thing an advert in a minnesota paper um which said that uh this is the quote owing to the peculiar nature of this picture no theater could be secured that would exhibit it therefore we are forced to do the next best thing and use our own building so it's really interesting that going right back to the earliest days of cinema um, there is firstly this idea about um, uh, African Americans making the most extraordinary cinema and immediately it being considered to be somehow uh, incendiary and dangerous and, and somehow has to be contained. So everyone kind of knows about Birth of a Nation. I would hope that everyone knows about Within Our Gates, but if you don't, um, it was was missing and believed lost for a long time there was a version of it found in with spanish intertitles incomplete in the 1970s it was restored by the library of congress uh motion picture conservation center and it is now considered to be kind of an absolute keystone historical text again just reminds people that there's nothing new about what's happening now and there's nothing new about the fact that cinema has always been at the center of that debate and as part of the kind of the great history of black american filmmaking within our gates is right there at the the very very you know the birth what we think of as the birth of cinema and it ties in as i said with the way in which um 
uh, filmmakers have addressed the issue of Birth of a Nation. Obviously, you know, we all watch Black Klansman. There's that scene in Black Klansman in which they show Birth of a Nation and all the white supremacist, nutball, Nazi, Ku Klux Klan, crazy people, you know, <laughs> applauding the film. And um, you think, yeah, well, you know, that was happening. That riposte to that was happening right at the birth of cinema. As I said, it's on BFI Player. And if you get a chance to check it out, although I, you know, it's I'm a big silent cinema advocate anyway so it's I think I think you didn't I think you'd really really find it fascinating it's a very very powerful piece of work mm. yeah um I I uh you talking about the response that people might have to something made me think about like um the the section of 13th which takes Trump's speech oh he talks about the good old days um and puts it alongside people attacking uh you know black people uh aggressively sort of spitting at them and and pushing them and fighting them and all the rest of it and the significance that people's words and cinema itself can have on on an audience and when it's deemed to all of a sudden be oh no 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 we can't we can't show this to people because that will change the way that people think about something rather than supporting the hateful horrible routine that people have been part of for years and years and years and years and years um and it's just it's just so revealing now it probably has been for a long time to a lot of people but it's just so revealing to be able to see the um how obvious it is that there has just been a a constant uh, theme of uh in in cinema and, and in everything uh that keeps black people's voices suppressed um for fear that i don't even know of what it's sort of hard to even to express because it seems so ludicrous to my head um but yeah uh that's what it sort of made me think of is that horrid little moment in in 13th this very emotional it's actually kind of the end of black clansman as well like just just using this footage and showing it to you and being like argue with that argue with like what you're seeing here because we're not even trying to put a narrative well, I mean, I, on you it know, I'd say that the two things are important that firstly you know growing up as a middle class white kid um, in mm. North London pretty much everything I learned about black history I learned from cinema and so it's it, it is astonishing that uh, you know um, th- that that was the kind of portal of information and that's why it's it's been I mean I'm you know I feel privileged to have been able to watch the films that I've been able to watch because they've changed, you know, they've changed my view of life. I grew up in Finchley. You know, mm. I literally grew up in uh, the, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, so that was always kind of those history lessons. Cinema has always been part of history. C- cinema is the living, breathing history of a culture. And it's, you know, let's never, let's never pretend that it's anything else because that's where we learn about the world from, you know, from cinema. Um, the other thing that's worth saying is that in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Cheeto face shit given. Um, it was interesting that when a Korean, when a Korean, um, David Quantic's phrase. I, I, I should always, always credit David Quantic with um, uh, tiny-handed Cheeto face shit given. Um, tremendous, tremendous uh, insult. It, tremendous, tremendous. Or uh, as uh, Greg Preeps calls him, um, uh, uh, Tango Mussolini. Um, uh, but. Uh, the was it Mango Mussolini? He has a whole a whole a whole series of them. Either one works. Um, that when uh, a Korean film won the Oscar for Best Picture, Trump's response was, 
why can't we go back to the good old days yep. of Gone with the Wind? Yeah, Gone with the Wind, with its scenes of smiling slaves. Gone with the Wind, a film for which when Hattie McDaniel famously won her Oscar, she had to receive the Oscar in a segregated hotel in which she wasn't allowed to sit at the table with the rest of the filmmakers and had to be sneaked into the hotel after the producer basically pulled a favour. She was taken in through another entrance and then had to sit separately and then had to come down from her separate table off in the segregated area in an area that actually generally she wouldn't have been allowed into at all to walk down and receive the Oscar and then go back up and get it. And, um, you know, yeah, let's go back to those days, Trump. Yeah, let's it, go back to those days. Sometimes it seems that, to me you, that, that Trump, although appearing like a moron, which I undoubtedly believe that he actually is, but sometimes I think that he knows the subtext of what he's saying and he knows that the people that are listening understand the subtext of what he's saying so there's actually like a weird cleverness to the stupidity that he puts across so by saying going back to the days of gone with the wind which to him you know on the surface level is like a classy movie you know that, that, that's held up but actually what i think he's saying is what's underneath all of that stuff and i think he knows that is what i mean i don't know that's just i'm just speculating i suppose but i can't help but be like you must be aware you must be aware that the, that the subtext of what you're saying there is is that it's dangerous. I, I, I think I think using the word awareness in relation to Trump is difficult because I think mm. he is basically just a you know kryptonite like ball of uh, evil coughed up from the arse of Satan himself, and uh, I think that he has uh, been sent here to destroy the world, and I think that uh, evangelical Christians getting behind him are basically a demonstration that uh, false prophets will always be followed by. Fuckheads, and uh, I, you know, I, it's. Uh, I think he's a really, really dangerous, poisonous, terrible presence, and I think that the people who voted for him uh, last time, I would very much hope, uh, you know, don't vote for him this time. But I have a particular disdain for evangelicals who, um, who, you know, it reminds me of that line from uh, the New Model Army song, um, you know, uh, the Christian militia, which is worshipping the devil in the name of God. And I do think that that's what they're doing. And we will now draw this political rant to a close and move on to something else on the on a much lighter subject. Still Jack, to do with Satan, though. Still to do with Satan. Yeah, actually, that's... I realise we're not going that far away, are we? <laughs> so from one Satan, uh, currently uh, uh, sitting in the White House to another Satan flying on the wings of a locust. Linda Blair, Richard Burton, Louise Fletcher, Max Vincito, James Earl Jones, Exorcist Two, The Heretic. I, I'm going to start by saying, uh, don't, I don't want you to give me any re- sort of sense of how you responded to this. Okay. I asked you to, uh, to go away and watch Exorcist to the Heretic. Now, I have said for many, many years, and I will stand by this, that Exorcist is the greatest movie ever made. Exorcist to the, Her- the Heretic is the worst film ever made. And whenever I get asked why, my response is always not only because I think it is as William Friedkin famously said, that film is the product of a demented mind, but also because it was a film that had so much resources and started from such a high bar and literally just proceeded to destroy and trash 
the thing that had gone before it. Um, so I'm going to begin by asking you, mm-hmm. can you tell me briefly what the plot <laughs> of The Exorcist 2 is? <laughs> That is a horrible question. Yeah, um, have a go. Have a go. Okay. Okay, I'm going to try my best. We meet Reagan now five years later, I believe. Four. Four. Four years later. Four. She seems to be doing all right. She seems to be mentally sound, but she's having uh, checkups with a therapist in a, um, in a, psychiatric, in a psychiatric ward. And she believes that she's suppressing some demons. There is a priest who comes to help her, um, who believes that she was once possessed by a demon, but she, the, the psychiatrist believes, no, we've created our own demons. And then they have this sci-fi-esque device that they just don't spend any time over wondering why it exists, which connects their minds in a sort of hypnotic trance and and then he it's sort of difficult from there it's okay yeah. <laughs> it's okay. sort of difficult so. to try and because stuff just starts happening there's a lot of revisiting of the old film in really strange ways okay go on so take the, it j- from there okay so um uh, uh, William Goodhart, Rospo Pallenberg, um, directed by John Borman, who had made uh, Deliverance and, uh, you know, uh, Helen Pacific Point Blank, um, Richard Burton, uh, Louise Fletcher, James Earl Jones, mm. endless amounts of money. I mean, just, the, you know, the, all the resources that heaven can allow. Uh, so here is, as far as I can tell, the story of uh, Exorcist to the Heretic. Um, Richard Burton is a priest who was a follower of Father Merrin and Richard Burton uh, believes that Father Merrin was on the brink of a great discovery that um, uh, all around the world people were going to break out and become some new kind of superhero good form of humanity and despite the fact that uh, we had been told all the way through The Exorcist that this is nothing to do with the girl, it's nothing to do with the girl, it's nothing to do with the girl, it's to do with us, the observers, every person in this house say that in the conversation on the stairs nothing to do with the girl Karis actually says why this girl it makes no sense Marin says nothing to do with the girl it isn't anything to do with the girl it's to do with everybody else no and, apparently and it is to do with the, the girl. exorcist 2 open with the, the the girl setting on fire saying why me yes exactly so um father I, uh, father richard burton let's call him uh, um uh, he, uh, anyway, so he's somewhere, I think it's in South America, he's uh, tracking down people to exorcise, apparently there's lots of them, and there is a, a woman who is very good, she's a doctor, she cures people, therefore she sets herself on fire because she's possessed, and there we go. Then we come back to uh, to New York now, Reagan is living there, Reagan is no longer um, living with her mother, because because uh, Ellen Burstyn was busy. they couldn't afford. And, um, <laughs> exactly. But they can, however, afford uh, Kitty Wynn, who at the end of the last film said... Uh, 
you know, Sharon, she said, no, I'm going. I can't have any more contact. And then there's a line in it in which Kitty Wynn says, um, why was it? Back then I thought I couldn't bear to be near her, but now I, I can't bear to be apart from her. And Kitty, that's because you were available and cheap and therefore your character <laughs> is written into the story. And uh, so she goes to a psychiatric unit that's built entirely of glass. Um, oh, reflective surfaces. And then she cures a child who is mute and has autism autism um, and she cures her by looking at her in a funny way and did it with her mind because she is part of a hive mind uh, of people who are breaking out and are going to be super great uh, for some uh, uh, for some reason nobody understands Richard Burton's priest finds her says I think that you, we are on the brink of a whole new leap forward in society therefore I must synchronise my brain with yours he puts on a uh, flashing walkman he then flies on a <laughs> locust to Africa where we meet uh, the original the young father Marion uh, exorcising a young boy uh, called uh, is he called Kokomo because there is a line in which uh, that Richard has to say with a straight face Kokomo where is Pazuzu um, he then uh, ends up with James Earl Jones who tells him to stand on some spikes and he will spit a leopard and he does stand on some spikes while James Earl Jones spits a leopard which appears to be coughing up a furball of cheese which then lands on one of the spikes and then he falls over and he wakes up in a museum of a natural science somewhere in new york For, meanwhile um uh, reagan has stolen the hypnotizing uh, walkman machine because she's having uh, dreams and then for some reason they have to get on a train and then an airplane and then another train then uh, oh the lightning nearly takes out the airplane because richard burton has been possessed by i think by the demon i'm not sure they all get back to georgetown they arrive at georgetown where linda blair's character splits into two two people bad reagan and good reagan good reagan is we know her because she wears espadrilles bad reagan a sexy low-cut nightdress who tries to have it off with richard burton <laughs> whilst the the locusts arrive from africa fly in through the window and then the whole house falls down the reason the whole house falls down is because when they were making exorcist 2 they asked for permission to shoot in georgetown and georgetown went not on your bloody life are you filming on our streets off you go so they had to rebuild the whole thing on a studio and then since they built it they decided they should knock it down and in order to make them make the knocking it down they had to write something into it about a vortex and uh, in the making of exodus 2 there's a lovely scene in which john borman is asked what the vortex is and he says i don't really know but i think it's really coming together and then in the original version of the film the whole house falls oh sharon sets fire to herself um because it's a reminder of the woman that set fire to herself before there's a bit when linda blair does a tap dancing routine and then she collapses um that's uh, I'm not entirely sure what that's there for and then in the original version of the film after the house has fallen down after sexy Reagan has gone down into the into the floor and not sexy Reagan um, with the espadrilles has, has come out uh, with uh, Father Lamont with Richard Burton and then everybody laughed and so they recut the ending with just Linda Blair coming out of the house and then everybody laughed and then they said can we go back and recut it again and everyone said no it's not going to make any difference the end I ultimately don't have much other than to say god damn it why did you make me watch that um, is it, isn't it the worst film it ever is, made? Isn't it the, the it's stupidest? It's easier to say what it isn't because it's yes. barely anything. Because it's not <laughs> even funny. So funny, it's bad. It's not no. at all scary. It's not interesting. It's not dramatic. It, it isn't anything. It is. So, it's badly made. There are some moments in it where I'm like, oh, I know it was 1977, but that was the year that Star Wars came out and. Like, you don't need 
like you didn't need to like even just small little it's it's this is when you know that things are bad is when you're focusing on the small details because they're the the microcosm of a bigger thing is that when you have that boy who looks like the demon writhing around and then turning back into a human being there's just these very obvious awful cuts of him going less makeup less makeup and i was like why why did you cut it like that i don't understand it's those little moments that stand out because the whole thing is so terrible and i knew it was going to be bad obviously because i knew it was going to be i had heard it was terrible anyway but from the very very start when we meet reagan the last time we knew reagan as a character and that's what i think is important is that she was a little girl who was possessed by a demon and she was a, a, a vision of innocence and then we meet her now she's apparently 16 and she is immediately sexualized immediately the way that she's dressed she's like not wearing a bra she looks like she, she's in like theater uh in a porn like it looks like something like sexual is about to happen with the teacher when she's dancing in front of them it's bizarre i was watching it be like why why these decisions yeah. i don't understand yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's it's it, it's astonishing. I mean, the the, the history is that uh, um, uh, that basically Warner Brothers wanted to cash in on the film. So at first, the cash in was going to be that they were going to send a priest to investigate the first case, doing a lot of chin stroking, going hmm, and then tell me what happened, and then using unused outtakes from the original film. That was the thing. And then uh, when John Borman was brought on board, um, he had a you know brilliant reputation from making films, you know, like Deliverance and uh, and and. Uh, uh, point blank so they brought him on and he he said that he saw this brilliant opportunity to take uh a, 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 an audience who had already been elevated to some level off on a journey. Now, famously, John Borman was uh, one of the directors who allegedly was approached when they were first trying to find a director for The Exorcist. He said, not only do I not want to direct this film, I don't want anyone else to direct it. I think it's disgraceful. He then, uh, when he needed a hit and he needed some money, went and did the sequel, which is like the thing about what, you know, when uh, my my friend, the filmmaker, Adam Simon, said to his his partner, why should, you know, why should I do Carnus and she said, because if you don't, you'll end up doing Carnosaur 2. Well, in the case of John Borman, <laughs> there we go. And um, John Borman then said that he thought that uh, that he, the way he got Max von Sydow to agree to be in the film was he said that the great damage that had been done to the world by The Exorcist needed to be healed by Exorcist 2. Um, that, you know, that uh, The Exorcist was a film about torturing a small child and Exorcist 2 was a film in which it made that, it, it healed that wound. And as I said, it's... It is utter preposterous garbage. Uh, famously, William Friedkin said um, that <laughs> not only the, you know it's the product of a demented mind, but he said that um, he told this tell this story that in the very first preview of Exorcist Two, when uh, everyone was there and all the executives, all the Warner Brothers executives, were outside, you know, in the parking lot, you know, waiting for the people to come out, they could do the cards. When the film finished, somebody got up at the first preview and said, "The people responsible for this piece of shit." Are outside. <laughs> um, I remember William Peter Blatty saying that um, he, he he hated the film. He said he hated it because he trashed the exit. But he said he remembered being in a cinema the first time that she puts the thing on her head, the machine. Now Reagan, and he said, and he said, and he said, now I confess, I did giggle. He said, and I, I may have been responsible for setting the audience off. He said, but after that, it was like a Marx Brothers movie. It was there was popcorn in the air. There was people. That, there's the the, the marvellous moment in when Richard Burton has the conversation with James Earl Jones about whether or not 
plagues of locusts can be stopped by the good locust. The good locust. And Richard Burton, is there no hope? Is there no hope? After the brushing of the wings, is there no hope? And then James Earl Jones explains that Reagan is the good locust. And you're going, I'm sorry, you're, you're actually going with this idea that we're going, that she's the good, she's the good locust, but she split into two good, good locust Reagan and bad locust Reagan, bad locust Reagan who wears a low cut negligee and good locust Reagan <laughs> wears strappy sandals. It's like everything about that film is beyond idiotic. Uh, Louise Fletcher, uh, you know, a very, very fine actress as uh, Dr. Tuskin, just just beyond belief awful she doesn't know what she's doing she doesn't know what she's doing all the stuff with you know everyone says you know the um the, the african plains all of which are all filmed on uh, you know on location in, in in burbank and they you know the the the, 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 the plagues of locusts coming down which are actually little flying styrofoam things that are blown around and honestly you know, all the close-ups of the locusts were just just so much just terrible just terrible and people who defend the film um say oh well you know who it, defends it oh well michel simon um you know there are there are many people who defend the movie and say oh you know his great artistic thing and he was never allowed to make the film borman himself very un, un, ungallantly said well the problem with that film is that linda blair isn't very spiritual she's not a very spiritual presence you go that's the problem with the film the film the film well, in release, which richard release Burton, the borman cut that's exactly. what i want to say no, there, well there are there are two versions of it in the version that you oh, saw god in the version that you saw at the end how many of them came out of the house did richard burton and linda blair or just linda blair just Linda Blair. Okay, there's another version, which is the original cut, which is indeed available on, on Blu-ray. Um, and in fact, Michel Simon argued for a third version in between, an imaginary third version of The Exorcist, Exorcist to the Heretic, um, which would solve all the problems, and to which the answer is no, no, version one, totally shit version two totally shit version three an imagined combination of version one and version two probably totally shit uh, the only thing that's interesting about that film is the nao morricone score is fantastic because it is so bonkers and actually i think that for just for the fact that the the, the x is two soundtrack album which has that nao morricone la la you know all that banging stuff and then the reagan's floating theme which of course turns up famously in the hate in the hateful eight so what happened to your horse he's kind of old i didn't had him for a bit when weather took a turn for the worse well he done what he could but he couldn't make it that's too bad yeah it is so i think it is a I think the worst thing about it is, is it's a film that takes every coherent, sensible, intelligent, interesting thought from The Exorcist and says, no, none of that. It's all about this. It's all about it's special bonkers. It's And it's, it's um, the, 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 the only interesting, because I was trying to think, oh, what's the interesting thing that I could come away with this? Like looking for the silver lining in it, I suppose. And actually like, the theme of like the psychological versus the religious of like the, the, there's a line where she says we create our own demons and she taps on her head that as an idea as a simple idea as a sequel to the exorcist is a very interesting idea the idea of like the two different people that might have seen this event the religious people and the more psychological people actually kind of the debate that we had in the last podcast which is that i came away being like oh his demons won 
Like, and you were like, no, 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 because it's a story about religion, which means actually if he believes in faith again, him sacrificing himself that way and dying believes he, he, he made it to the next plane. He's, he's accepted his, his faith again. Those are two incredibly interesting polar opposite debates to be ha- a debate to be having and the and the sequel to be having that debate with a with a priest and a and a psychologist would have been a very very interesting thing to see but that's not really what it's about like there's this there's one moment where she says that but that, that that's the only moment when i was like oh that's kind of that's kind of it it's but, not but, it's not actually about it's actually about locusts and, but, but, but and jack, magic yeah but jack what's fascinating is that discussion you already had it you got all of that from the first film you didn't need right. some idiotic glass set psychiatric unit miraculous. That pissed me off as but, well. Yeah, it's just like, and you know, when you read the Bournemouth subject, it's like, oh, well, it's to do with the fact that she's a fractured soul and she's reflected in, in many. You go, shut up. No, yeah. no, it's just, it's yeah. just. And you get to have that stuff on top of a good story. <laughs> that's right, you get yeah. to have that as being like subtext of part of part of something else. You can't just have it as like the text. Yeah. That's not enough. No, I know. It's just. I mean, I, I do. I think that the script. I mean, I said when you look at the people involved, you know, Rosper Pallenberg, William Goodhart, even and as Blatty said, oh, they, you know, they had all these, they had all these famous creatives. What did they need me for? Um, very interesting. I'm going to ask you next. We won't do it for the next one, but I'm going to ask you next to do Exorcist 3 which is the Blatty sequel which has got no no Reagan in it at all um, and actually I think is an interesting film but um, I, 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 I am left with, I mean I have watched Exorcist 2 a lot of times every time thinking okay this is the time that it's going to click into gear for me you know I'm going to realise that there is something in there not least because I really like Linda Blair and I think that the film did untold damage to her career because it was so terrible and as I said, uh, terrible. I think that it was kind of ungallantly blamed upon her because Richard Burton, who was who only did the movie to pay for a divorce, um, is awful in it. I mean, really, really awful in it. Um, but I think the the one fascinating thing about that film is that it has its defenders, and it just goes to show that you know people for perverse reasons will stand up for anything, but. I, I think it's. I think it is a. It's a. It is. A, it is the work of a demented mind. It is a film made by somebody who believes that they are above the horror genre. It is a film that patronizes and talks down to its audience. Now, Reagan, this is a and psychological. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's like it's a film that treats <laughs> its audience as absolute morons. And, Can we uh, talk about a few uh, more specific details? Go ahead. Just because it'd be quite nice, I think. Because on a, on a grand scale, I think we agree. Yeah. Trash. Okay. <laughs> but on the specific details, why? Why? Many, just, just that actually, why? But also, <laughs> um, why did they change the design of the, the, the demon's look? Like the face, the reveal of the face. I was like, oh, that looks like someone's crap Halloween version. Yeah. Linda Blair, Linda Blair wouldn't it. wear the makeup again, so that's a stand-in. So, <gasps> so that's Why? Because, she, because she'd had a lot of trouble with the makeup the first time round. At one, of the, at one point, one of the, the, the contact lenses had frozen onto her eyes, and she just she wouldn't wear it again. So all the stuff of oh, Reagan, wow. possessed Reagan in the bed, that's not Linda Blair. And it doesn't look anything like Linda Blair. And then the voice is different. Yeah, it's not, well, it's not Mercedes McCambridge. It's, oh, just, like, oh, it's just like, as soon as you hear it, you're like, no. <laughs> it's, it, immediately not scary. And also, yeah. I've, I, I, it's, it's like... It honestly is similar to... I mean, this is such a bizarre comparison, but it's like when cartoons, like 
uh, like, or animated films do sequels and they can't get the same people back like when Robin Williams didn't come back to do the genie and you look at it and you go no, no. This, 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 no. this something no no I'm not okay with this and it's the same as this as like I would have maybe even been like more drawn in if there was something like even nostalgic about like oh that's the same thing mm, yeah. but it's it's not uh, it's no. superficially it's not the same thing no. and deeper down it's not the same thing nope. but those moments really pulled me out of it I was like that's not but that's not what the demon sounded no, like no no you can't convince me that that's what it sounded but like the, the one the wonderful moment when when the, the the obviously not Linda Blair demon transforms into Linda Blair as sexy Reagan and when he goes those little fades when he goes those transitions Azuzu's Reagan is the only Reagan <laughs> it's just what No. He's mine. He's chosen me. Pazuzu's Reagan is the only Reagan. Be joined with us, Father. How many times in the first Exorcist do they say the name Pazuzu? Never. They, I didn't. I didn't think they ever said it. No, they don't. You see this. You see the statue in the amulet, but I don't think the, the name is ever yeah. said. Yeah, because Pazuzu's a funny name, <laughs> and <laughs> that's why they don't. That's why she says I'm the devil because it's easier <laughs> and it's scarier. Pazuzu is a funny word, and so the moment when she arrives at the house and she says, "Say it," and then she dramatically just pauses and goes, "Pazuzu." I was like, "This is." This is ridiculous. What, why has Mark made me watch this? And, and, and also, then, you, well, Pazuzu is actually the, demon, the Assyrian demon of the southwest wind, but then not only having that, but also having Kokomo, where is Pazuzu? Which, as I said, is just one of the, one of the great lines of all time. It's just genius, isn't it? Yeah. No, um, hey, incidentally, let me... One thing, um, if you get a chance, when, yeah. if, if you still got your copy of Exorcist... The original one. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I rented it on iTunes. I could, I could, okay. I could. I, no, I, Somebody pointed. I watched because I because you told me I watched the. Um, yeah, the, 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 the. I accidentally watched the version you'd never seen. Doesn't matter. If you go back to here's the thing. I only discovered this a couple of years ago, and I hadn't seen it for. I hadn't noticed. You know, in the scene in um uh in Karis's mother's apartment, when Karis goes in, and there's 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 the kind of the little wall of fame of him. There's a picture of him doing as a boxer, and a picture of him as a little angelic child, and his medals. Yeah. Okay? And somebody put this picture. This is a few years ago now, but I'd never noticed it before. Somebody put this picture on Twitter and said, "Wow, I had never noticed." And I looked at this picture, and I was, "What? What? What have you never noticed? I've watched this film a hundred times. What have you never noticed?" And you just asked, is Pazuzu ever said by name? And no, obviously we see the Pazuzu statue at the beginning and we see the Pazuzu statue in Reagan's bedroom during that moment when she rears up on the bed and we see the Pazuzu amulet, evil against evil. But I don't think the name is, I'm pretty certain the name is never said. In Karis's mother's apartment, on the table, there is a copy of National Geographic magazine and on the front cover of National Geographic is the statue of Pazuzu. And I had never noticed it. Oh, wow. It's like it's there in her apartment. And honestly, when I saw it, I nearly... I've, I've watched that film, but I've never noticed that before. There is a magazine with the statue of Pazuzu in Karis's mother's apartment. And they don't and need to... And I think to, that that's don't. the fundamental difference between Exorcist and, and Exorcist 2, 
is that you are still discovering and having meaningful conversations about the first one because there's such texture and depth and care that was put into the fact that Blatty and Freakin debated and continued to debate for 20 years and plus that I assume about what to have done with that story is that to me is 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 part of the beauty of all of it is because you've got these two creative voices that are saying no this is what it should be no this is what it should be because they both care about it so much and X is two <laughs> I don't even know how to they it's just it's a it, it there's no, nobody no one debated about that everyone debated about like is it less funny if we take this person out of the house or more that's that's the only meaningful conversation that anyone had about it (laughs) there's nothing intricate there's no depth to any of it what were you saying about the director being like oh it's because of the reflections and all that sort of stuff that to me like when i saw the reflective surfaces and all the windows and all the all that stuff in uh the psychiatric hospital i was like bollocks yes i i, I saw that and i was just like no that is not <laughs> no. what that would look like yeah like, it, and, and and there's it's, it's something that annoys me that pisses me off that when when you take artistic license to that degree where it's just like no i don't believe this anymore like, I know, but, but also a place where i don't believe but it. also it's like um we're developing a psychiatric institute let's make all the walls see-through so everyone can see each other all the time that'll work and you go yeah no mental no they wouldn't do that <laughs> that place literally <laughs> literally would not exist there is no way yeah. on earth that that place would especially exist. with children i know yes it's, it's like it's it's just, just the insanity. And then you go, yeah, well, it's to do with reflective surfaces. You go, no, it's to do with, I don't believe that place. I don't believe any yeah. of the people in it. And I don't believe the thing. She was talking on the inside, and then she started talking on the outside. You go, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were there. <laughs> oh, God. And you, oh, another thing that just come, came to mind as well, the bit when the, the uh, priest is reflecting on the first, I think the first time he's had the mind communication with Reagan. Yeah. He looks to camera. Did you, do you remember this? <laughs> no, go on. He starts talking about he starts talking about the first film essentially about the things that he saw. And actually, I think the only bit that was kind of interesting visually was the bit when Reagan had his her hand on his chest, and also the demon yeah, Reagan glass. had her hand on his chest. Yeah. That 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 was kind of an interesting. I was like, oh, that's an interesting image. Like that again, like looking for positivity. But then afterwards he was talking uh, to, to the doctor about it and she walks off and he's left alone and on screen and says, no, it was something horrible. <laughs> and then he looks down lens. And I was like, why are you looking at camera? Why are you doing that? And then she comes back into the screen uh, and then he just turns back to her. And it just reminded me of the bit when uh, Doc Brown goes, we're sending you back to the future and points at the camera and back to the future because it's going, yeah, yeah, that's the title. But in this, it was like this weird moment where all of a sudden he's breaking the fourth wall. Like we're supposed to be connecting with him on some sort of level to go, yeah, no, I, it was, it was horrible. But instead I'm going, why are you doing that? But, why are you looking at me? But also that, mo- that moment when they're both, they're both scrabbling for his heart, okay? And then, yeah. and then the filmmakers decide, I know, the way that we will represent this is we will literally have a hand scrabbling yeah. into his chest and actually scrabbling with an animated pig's heart. And you're going, 
Uh, really? Okay, so you, the, so the woman set fire to herself in the first scene because somebody said it's a horror film, you need to have a couple of scares in it. Okay, let's do that. How about if we have a bit when uh, somebody tries to actually physically grab his heart through his chest? We, we do that? Yeah. For, so it's, it's like all this kind of insane levels of just stupidy stupid. And, and then, yeah, and and, it, and, it, and it's someone trying to be clever as well. Yeah, and the foot, it, it's, and the it's foot, like the taking foot, the subtext and making it text. The foot standing on the spike. What's that scene for? Other than you know, John, <laughs> nothing interesting has happened for half an hour. Could you stab somebody in the foot? All right, yeah. Can we stab somebody in the foot? Yeah, all right. We we'll stab somebody in the foot then. <laughs> and then you get to the end. I like that that's someone's first suggestion. <laughs> right. is, could we have someone get stabbed in the foot? <laughs> and then you get to the end. Nothing. Nothing's happened for a lot. Can somebody else set fire to themselves? Can Sharon set fire to us? Yeah. Well, set fire to Sharon. Oh, we need a car. Can you have a car crash? Yeah, have a car crash. Have and a then, car crash. Have a car crash. <laughs> and then have Sharon set fire to herself. Is that all right? Yeah. Why? I don't oh. know. <laughs> it was just incomprehensible. Yes, it was. I was what, and dull, so dull. Like the amount of times I'm watching someone just walk from a place to another place. <laughs> and then Reagan just goes, Father, Father, Father. And I was like, No, I, I don't want to be watching this. Why is he, I blame Mark Kermode for this. Why has he made me do this? Uh, because I, because I, am, I am at heart a dark and nasty soul. All right, Jack, listen. Um, okay, so I think I've put you through the, the ring. So just to end on a positive note, um, uh, you can see 13th now free on YouTube. And uh, thanks to Netflix for putting that up there. It's a great documentary and well worth seeing. Uh, Oscar Michaud's Within the Gates is available on a BFI player. There is a new Spike Lee film coming to Netflix uh, this Friday, I think it is, or maybe Monday, called uh, The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods, just so you know. And, um, and thank you for enduring the horror that is Exorcist 2, as William Freakin calls it, The Hairy Tick. I am so, so All powerful God, you who gave power to your apostles to pass through dangers and harm, give us strength. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. If you're interested and you want to see more, you can go to our Patreon page where there is a video that you can enjoy, including the moment in which Jack realised that I've got Elvis looking down upon me. Uh, thanks to all our patrons, particularly at the moment. We really, really do appreciate your support. Uh, there's a new uh, MK3D going up uh, next week, I think it is, because the MK3D shows are now all online. If you've enjoyed it, subscribe, tell your friends, do all the other stuff that I'm meant to tell you to do. And thank you for listening. Stay safe. Keep watching this, guys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.